Good evening, this is Quintus Curtius, and welcome back to Fortress of the Mind. And in this podcast, I'm going to be talking about something that I think is very important. And the idea occurred to me to make a podcast about this subject from reading a series of articles that have appeared on a website that I visit occasionally called Small Wars Journal, smallwarsjournal.com. It's a military military affairs website, and it aggregates a lot of military news, information about warfare going on in the world, various items of related interest. But recently there's been a series of articles that have appeared on this site that I think are very important and that I think everyone needs to understand and process. And they have not gotten the attention that I think they deserve. And these are a series of articles called The Plutocratic Insurgency. Plutocratic Insurgency. And those of you who know your etymology will know that the word plutocrat means a system of government where the wealth is controlled by a very few. And who would deny that this is not an accurate representation of our economic and political system now in 2017? But this series of articles, written by uh, Robert J. Bunker and Pamela Liguri Bunker, and I think Mr. Bunker is an adjunct professor at the U.S. Army's War College, if I'm understanding his little uh, biographical paragraph here, if I'm understanding that correctly. And this series of articles is very, very important because I think for the first time, for the first time, it identifies the incredible wealth and income disparities existing in the world as a, a form of warfare. Because we've all heard before about the growing income disparities in the United States. We've heard about the growing uh, disparities, the, the, the incredible disparities in income between the top tier and the rest of us. But what is important, I think, about this series of articles from the bunkers is that they identify it as a form of warfare. It's an insidious, silent form of warfare that's been successfully waged by the elites, by the financial and political elites, against the population not only of America, but of much of the world. And I think only by identifying this disparity, by identifying this problem as a form of 21st century warfare, can we really begin to address it and to deal with it. Now, when he talks about plutocratic insurgency, you may ask, what does that mean? I will post links to the four articles that I think are important in the post that I do accompanying this podcast. But I'm going to read a paragraph here that appeared in uh, Dr. Robert Bunker's article from 2014. And this was an op-ed article entitled, Not Your Grandfather's Insurgency, Criminal, Criminal, Spiritual, and Plutocratic. And I think this, as far as I can tell, is where he first really crystallized the definition of the idea of the plutocratic insurgency. Although I think, actually, the, the, the term 
the term first was was first articulated by uh, according to the notes here in the article he says that the the criminal insurgency construct was first articulated by John Sullivan a guy named John uh, uh, Sullivan and Bunker himself in an article called rethinking insurgency criminality spirituality and societal warfare in the Americas and this apparently appeared in a book I think it's I think it says criminal insurgencies in Mexico and the Americas the gangs and cartels wage war and this apparently was published in London in the United Kingdom but in any case this idea of the plutocratic insurgency apparently has taken hold in this writer's mind I think since 2011 2012 but this is how he defines it he says this other variant of commercial insurgency first identified in 2011 by the author exists at the opposite end of the spectrum from a criminal and illicit economic-based insurgency. In this instance, the winners of globalization, represented by multinational corporations and global elites, are seeking to remove themselves from the regulatory, taxation, and ultimately political authority of states. This is done by promoting an extra-sovereign economy, using foreign tax havens, playing states off against each other to maximize their profits, being a non-resident citizen so as to not pay taxes, and employing a bevy of lawyers and lobbyists within states to gain special privileges and economic considerations. This is very much representative of a Gilded Age, that is 1870 to 1900 redux, but at a globalized level. No sovereign authority presently exists to contend with such an insurgent form, one that is an unintended consequence of globalized capitalism and is resulting in growing economic inequalities in Western states, yet has been relatively violence-free. Some might argue, however, that law enforcement and judicial elements of co-opted states can be, quote, legally utilized by the plutocratic insurgents to suppress anti-plutocratic protests and demonstrations. And this is the paragraph that Bunker uses to describe the meaning of plutocratic insurgency. And when I first read that, I said to myself, this, this is something different. This is important. This is something that needs to be promoted, needs to be understood, needs to be broadcast. Because he actually identifies these disparities that we're living in as a, as a form of warfare. And it takes the struggle out from the realm of ideology and puts it where it belongs, in the realm of economic inequality. Because so often we hear people talking about, well, the right wing does this, and the left wing does this, and the center does this, and some group does this, and another group does that. So everyone focuses on fighting with someone else. The plutocrats have us all fighting with each other, with this group against that group, and pitting one group against another group, pitting the right wing against the left wing, and this wing against that wing, when we really should be focusing on the real enemy. And the real enemy are those who control the states, who control the rigged economic system, who control the access to money, to power. These are the people who are preventing you and I 
from getting where we need to be and allowing the people in those societies to prosper and at least earn a decent living. And when you ask yourself, why is it that I live in a country where I can't even get health care, the rest, the entire rest of the world enjoys a decent or at least an existing form of health insurance for all. And yet in America, we can't get that. And yet in the United States, they make you pay for education, where in many countries of the world, it's free. I mean, even in Syria, if you come from an Arab country before the before the, the war started, at least anyone could go there and get an education free. Yeah, it may not have been the best education, and I'm certainly not holding up other states as paragons of civic virtue. But what I am saying that it, is that it's a travesty that in the supposedly world's most advanced and developed nation, that you can't even have a system of health care that's affordable. And maybe that's not a debate that I really want to get into right now, but I think it's a travesty. I think it's a, it's a, it's a disgrace. And it's also a disgrace that we have a system in place now where student loans are being piled on top of young people coming out of schools now where they can't even get ahead. And this is something I see every day. And it's a, it's a crime. It's an absolute crime. And nobody cares. The people in Congress that are supposed to be there working the will of the people, ver- verbalizing, vocalizing the will of the people, they don't care. They don't care. They're going to do what their lobbyists, what their special interest groups, and what their donors tell them to do. So we have legalized corruption. We have political actors who are bought and paid for. That's what we have. And then you have to ask yourself, how is it that it came to be this way? Well, it happened over a period of about 30, 40 years since the 80s. It happened in small steps. It happened in small incremental aggregations. And everyone said, oh, it's not that big of a deal. Let's just see what happens. Let's just go with the flow. And before you knew it, the middle class was destroyed. Wages had been suppressed. An army of farm labor had been imported to enable the big multinational corporations to exploit slave labor or cheap labor. And this is how it happens. This is exactly how it happens. So let's go through and summarize a few of Dr. Bunker's articles here and see what we can find out about that. You know, the first article that he did about the plutocratic insurgency, he titled it Plutocratic Insurgency Note Number One. Eight individuals are now as wealthy as the poorest half of the world. I'll read that again. Eight individuals, not 80, not 800, eight individuals are now as wealthy as the poorest half of the world. And this is what Bunker says about that. He says, eight richest individuals in the world, and he names them. Bill Gates, um, Amanico Ortega, Warren Buffett, Carlos Slim, Jeff Bezos, Mark Zuckerberg, Larry Ellison, and Michael Bloomberg all have a net worth of together $426 billion. And these eight individuals have a net worth equivalent to that of the economic bottom half of humanity, 3.6 billion people. This phenomenon is a component of increasing global inequality 
and concentration of wealth and power in the hands of plutocratic individuals with extra sovereign privileges. See, this is what Bunker is doing. He's identifying the reality of what exists. He's pointing the finger where it needs to be pointed. These people are not no longer even state actors. They're placing themselves at the head of a extra sovereign authority. It's resulting in dystopian futures for large segments of humanity. Now, I've written about this before. I've written articles previously where I've expressed my opinion that any society in which there are tremendous concentrations of wealth in the hands of a few at the top are going to be inherently unstable. And, and this, this situation cannot really go on for very long. Because what's going to happen is at some point there's going to be a revolution. The wealth is going to be redistributed one way or another. And history tells us that it, this can happen in two ways. Either the rich become enlightened or some enlightened ruler, just like Solon of Athens, the Archon of Athens, was able to promote land reform and redistribute the, the drastic income inequalities that, and, and wealth inequalities that existed in ancient Athens. And he was able to avert a revolution, essentially confiscating the wealth of the rich and, and forcibly redistributing it. Or it can happen through violent means. Rome, Ancient Rome failed to solve this problem. The rich dug in their heels, resisted any attempt to reform the system, and the result was decades of civil war and chaos, which ended in an authoritarian state of the emperors. So this is the future that's mapped out for us. Either we do this, either we solve this problem ourselves, or the problem is going to be solved for us. Because a, situa a situation like this cannot really exist indefinitely. And the, the only real question is, who has the balls to do something about it? Who has the guts to do something? Who is going to do something? Let's take a look now at the let's take a look at the second article that was written about the plutocratic insurgency. All right, Bunker's point in the second note to the plutocratic insurgency is that 69% of Americans don't even have $1000 in savings. Think about that. Everyone, the vast majority of Americans is living paycheck to paycheck if they even have a paycheck. They don't even have $1,000 in savings. And the details of this are given where he says, he says here, let me find it. Just give me, bear with me here. I'll just try to read this extract here when I can find it. He says, Americans are falling short when it comes to saving money specifically setting aside money in savings accounts to create a financial cushion. In fact, they've gone from bad to worse, according to GoBankingRates.com's latest survey findings on savings accounts. In 2015, we asked more than 5,000 adults how much they had saved in a savings account. The results were startling. 62% said they had less than $1,000 in savings. 
The U.S. is often referred to as the land of economic opportunity. Apparently, it's also the land of consumption and spend everything you've got. We don't have to look far for confirmation that Americans are generally poor savers. Every month, the St. Louis Federal Reserve releases data on personal household savings rates. In July 2016, the personal savings rate was just 5.7%. Comparatively, personal savings rates in the U.S. 50 years ago were double what they were today, and nearly all developed countries have, have a higher personal savings rate than the U.S., in other words, Americans are saving less of their income than they should be. The recommendation is to save between 10% and 15% of your annual income, and they're being forced to do more with less in terms of investing. So this is the point. And you have to ask yourself, why is it? Why is it this way? Why is it? Is it, are we going to adopt the standard conservative line? Well, just pull yourselves up by your bootstraps and just work harder and save more and, and, and cut back on this. And yeah, there's some truth to that. There's some truth to that. But what about the overriding truth when there are no jobs or the, the value that you get from the job after adjusted for what you have to actually, what the cost of living is? you hardly have anything left over to save because the plutocrats are stealing everything. It's a rigged game where they always win. And that's what it's like now. That's what the economy is like now, which I feel like in many ways, what I see, the people that I, I help. It's like going to a casino where the house always wins. And... If you detect a level of fury from me in this podcast, you're absolutely right. This is a, a travesty. This is a crime. This is, a, this is an outrage that this has been allowed to go on. And I understand that political leaders can't do everything, but they don't even try. They don't even care. They don't even, they don't even, they could care less. Not, not, only, not only do they not care about us, they actively hate us and they work to hurt us. This is your government. This is your government. Let's go on to the third article. All right, in Bunker's third note on the plutocratic insurgency, he talks about no-shoring, job obsolescence via artificial intelligence and robotics. And the point here is that the economy has been rigged. The economy has been rigged to essentially prevent blue-collar jobs from ever coming back because the rich are outsourcing everything. They're configuring all of their manufacturing operations to have them done by robots or cheap labor abroad so that there aren't going to be very many jobs left for the average unskilled person to be able to do. So let's see what he says about this. He says... When workers lose a middle-class manufacturing or clerical job and end up in the services sector, the effect on their wages, benefits, and job security contributes to what economists call polarization. In a polarized labor market, a minority of highly skilled employees, the ones who can leverage technology to be more productive, effectively, effectively replace the labor of others and are paid accordingly. Everyone else sees their fortunes dwindle. Polarization has hit the middle class hard, but the devaluation of human labor will continue up to the income ladder, says Branko Milanovic, an economist who specializes in income inequality. 
That's partly because, more than ever, we have the ability to eliminate higher-paying knowledge work. Ian Barkin, co-founder of Symphony Ventures, wonderful-sounding financial company there, isn't it? Which, uh, which helps some of the world's largest companies automate everything, from call centers to human resource departments, says this phenomenon is known as no-shoring. The idea is that digitizing back office tasks brings them back to the country in which a company operates but without bringing back any jobs of course and this is what happens all of these technological changes are going to be used to help the super rich it's not going to trickle down to the average guy there is no trickling down it's trickling up and they keep everything again a rigged game a rigged system and all of this conservative can't this propaganda about you've got to just work hard work more and sacrifice more and all this other stuff you know this works only up to a point and when the whole system is configured against you to prevent you from succeeding you have to try to look at deeper causes you have to try to look at structural causes you have to try to look at economic causes but no one wants to do that because the plutocrats have essentially concealed this form of warfare from the public. They've been able to hide what they've done from the public. And this is the real genius of the insurgency. This is the real genius of what they've done. They've been able to hide behind the state and use the state as a shield while they pull the puppet strings in the background. While they pull the puppet strings. And this is what they've done. No sense of social responsibility. No sense of, oh, gee, maybe I owe something to the societies that gave me so much. They don't just want most of it. They want everything. They don't even want you to have a nickel in your pocket. That's how much they hate you. That's what they want. That's what they want. Let's now turn to the last article here. And this last note to the plutocratic insurgency idea. It's called Silencing the Middle Class, the Gradual Extinction of Tenure in American Universities. Now I know what you're thinking. I know what you're th- I know what you're thinking. When you heard me read that title, you're going to wince because you're going to be thinking, oh, well, who cares what, what's happening to tenured professors? I don't like professors anyway. Throw them out, throw them out on the street. Why should they have tenure when I don't have tenure? Okay. Well, you can think that way, but let me let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. One of the cornerstones of free speech in our society, in traditionally anyway, maybe not anymore, but traditionally used to come from universities. The idea that you could give a professor, a scholar, job security and allow him to pursue his researches free from the interference of political correctness or partisan voices or biases or political pressure. This was something very, very valuable. And that's the whole reason why the concept of tenure was created. It was created to promote academic freedom. It was created to promote free speech. It was intended to be a way to allow scholars to pursue their researches without the threat of being imprisoned, silenced, fired, retaliated against. Now this concept, which existed for many, many decades, 
in recent years has come under attack by the plutocrats who control everything. And they've convinced universities now to shift to this model of adjunct professorships. You know, let's, let's make everybody an adjunct professor. That way we can hire them at will and fire them at will. We can have them by the balls. We can control them. We can, ha we can have them by the throat and we can control them. And if they say or do anything to cause trouble, we can get rid of them. And it, like every other loss of our rights and privileges in America, all of this was done under the guise of saving money. It was all done under the guise of helping us. Look how much we can save if we just go from a tenured professor to an adjunct professor. We can save all this money. Ooh, we can save all this money. Yet, of course, what they don't tell you is, and of course, the idiots will just clap along with that. Hey, yeah, that sounds great. You know, we should we should really save money. That that really that really sounds great. Let me give up more of my freedom so I can save twenty cents. Let me give up all of my rights so I can save a nickel. And this is what happened. And no one questioned it. No one is questioning it, really. And now we have situations where the universities have become literally just, uh, I mean, I don't even know, you know, child care for adults, is that even a, a, the right term? Uh, the quality of the academic instruction has gone down precipitously. The maturity level of both faculty and students, I think, has gone down. And it's just not the same level of rigor that it was maybe 30, 40 years ago. It's just not there. And there's reason, there, there, are, there are a lot of reasons for this, but one of them is the concept of tenure coming under attack. Maybe not even the major reason, but it is an important thing because this is a subtle way they have of silencing dissent, of getting rid of the concept of free speech. And, you know, I don't care whether you like professors or not. Everyone has a favorite one. Everyone has one they don't like. That doesn't matter. But the idea of tenure is an important one. And it was created for a reason. It was created for a reason because people looked at the experience of what university, universities had been like in Europe in the 18th, 17th, 16th century, where if you said something against the crown or against a certain religion, you were going to be locked up or worse. These laws, these traditions here were established for good reason. But like so many other things, when people don't see the reason behind it, when they lose touch with what's important in life, when they get bought off with the opiates of wealth and of toys to play with, then they forget what's important. They forget what really matters. And they, they become susceptible to attack by this insurgency, this insurgency which is just as insidious, just as pervasive, just as destructive and as evil and as insidious as any form of of warfare practiced in history. And it's all being done behind the scenes. And that's what I wanted to talk about. I wanted to bring these articles to your attention. And I'm going to put the links to these articles in this post. And I encourage you to read them, to share them, to 
ponder them. It doesn't matter whether you agree with me or not. It doesn't matter. It's a concept that needs to be understood. The idea of the plutocratic insurgency. That will bring this podcast to a conclusion. I'm Quintus Curtius. Good night.